0: Before we begin this week's episode, I want to advise caution. This conversation involves adult themes and is not suitable for young ears. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. If you are a longtime listener, I want to say thank you for tuning in week in and week out. If you are new here, I would like to invite you to connect with me on Instagram at Grace Enough podcast underscore amber and through my newsletter. Go to Graceenoughpodcast.com and sign up today. To all of you, I want to remind you that Grace Enough is a podcast designed to encourage you that God can use any story to impact His kingdom. Yes, it requires surrender and trust but his grace is enough. Today's guest is Joshua Broom. God has and continues to use his story of being a top five male porn star who walked away from the industry to impact his kingdom. Joshua surrendered to Jesus and is continually learning to trust him and walk in the sufficiency of his grace. I have no doubt you will walk away from today's episode with hope and the power of God to change hearts and lives. Well, good afternoon, Joshua. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast.
1: I'm glad to be here.
0: Tell all of our listeners a little bit about yourself, your family, and what you do on a day-to-day basis.
1: Uh, I've been married to my wife for five years. Her name's Hope. She is a school teacher. She teaches uh, English as a second language, which is Um, So interesting and so mind boggling. Uh, Most people ask, does she speak a different language? A little bit Spanish, but it's kind of irrelevant because she's just teaching English to people who uh, they they probably um, speak English well enough to be at the grade level, but generally Mm -hmm. reading and writing comprehension because they've moved from somewhere where that was not their primary language, but she's amazing. She loves that. We have three kids. The third one, Judah, he is—he uh, is yet to make his appearance. Yeah. Uh, maybe by the time this comes this airs. out, I don't—I <laughs> don't know the the turnaround, but um, she's due in about fourteen days from today. Wow. So, and then we have two other kids, um, Canada and Lincoln, and we live right outside of Iowa City. So, I do some work with um, Crew, which is—it's um, a sub ministry underneath. Just the you know Billy Graham organization, and they work with colleges mm-hmm. um, on campus, and I, I preach there in rotation, and I mentor some of the guys there. I'm um, at the at the University of Iowa, and then we started uh, last year uh, this ministry called Known. So it's Known Church. We're in the process of planning a, a physical location, and that will be open in Easter. But for right now, I, I travel, I speak, um, I do a lot of anti pornography. Communication. I I spoke um, a few weeks ago at a global uh, an organization to end sex trafficking mm-hmm. um, and sexual exploitation. And but like my I, I love doing stuff like that. But like my my passion is preaching. So yeah, um, I get the opportunity to travel and preach and um, do what God wired me to do and it's share so my awful. story in the process.
0: Yeah, I know. I'm excited to jump into your story. And I'm assuming the. Um, event you were at last week, Rebecca Bender, she was probably there as well. I don't know if you're familiar with Becca, but she um, is a human trafficking, I don't want to say survivor, but she was human trafficked for years and years. So it's awesome work. Well, so take us back to your childhood. Tell me a little bit about your childhood, your teen years, and really what that process of really wanting to become this famous actor, a model, what, however you would like to refer to it.
1: So, I I grew up in the woods in South Carolina. I grew up in a really, really small town in South Carolina, Pageland, the the self proclaimed watermelon capital of the world. That's awesome. Um, But, like, we're so I was born in Charlotte because there's absolutely not uh, any hospitals where I grew up. But Charlotte was like the closest hospital to where we live. And I grew up with uh, my mom and pretty much her entire family so she, my mom had me when she was 16 and uh, my dad lived in that town he just chose not to be you know my, my dad per se and um, it, that was a strange dynamic because he it was never like he re like rejected me he just chose as a 16 year old not to play the role as father you know to mm. the best he could so that was strange growing up because you know he was essentially a you know a a young boy man you know a very young adult and you know he got older and got married and had a family and all this stuff and i i kind of you know saw this person that was my dad but i didn't really have a relationship with him um, wow. you know i i have i have probably had 20 interactions with him my entire life and probably 10 of those have been in the last 5 years like it it definitely made me kind of why why not like, mm-hmm. why don't I have this relationship with you? But it was never like anything that was like detrimental to me. But for the most part, like it was awesome. I grew up at my grandmother's house. Um you know we we had you know buttermilk, biscuits and cornbread every single it. day. Um <laughs> dessert was not an option. It was part of dinner. Um it was just <laughs> like that's how I grew up and it was awesome because it yes. was my mom, her two brothers. Um, her sister and my grandparents. And um, we just wow. had this gigantic family. And my, my aunts and my great grandparents actually live next door. So that's, that's how I grew up. We lived like in the, if you cut out an acre block out of a pine tree farm is like where we live.
0: It's so similar to my life. And yeah. so funny, Cause I mean, <laughs> so, I grew up yeah. by my dad's brothers and everything. And yeah, it's a, it's a fun childhood.
1: I, in no way, shape or form, like other than that, like I had a great childhood. My mom worked in a restaurant, her, you know, my entire life, you know, worked 50, 60 hours a week, yeah. but like taught me to love people and to work hard. And I never went without anything. I never, like I didn't realize the sacrifices that she had to make until I look back on that. But I started modeling when I was 13 or 14. Um, my life was about basketball and mm. modeling and acting and i wanted to act more than i wanted to model i loved modeling but like acting was my passion but i just ha- i had a lot of success modeling without having to put forth a lot of effort but like mm. acting for me it's like there was not as many opportunities and like you needed you know work, you know you need to put together a reel and do this and do that and like modeling it's like i had my headshots and you know my little um my comp card or whatever and it's just like it, it was just pretty easy for me. And I had a lot of success with that. And like that kind of fed me as, as a person, because I'm a high achiever, like, mm. like scratching off something on a, right. a sticky note, like fires me up to a degree that's probably unhealthy, <laughs> but what um, my
0: husband would say too, <laughs> that's,
1: that's just how, that's just who I am. Um, whatever I do, I, I want to be the best at it yeah. and whatever I'm doing for good or bad, I'm going to give it everything I got. And you know, that, that affirmation that I received from modeling and acting, because it was coming from an outside source, I think it kind of fed that desire to feel affirmed. Mm -hmm. Either it was through like sports or like how many girls I could date or, Mm. um, like whatever it was, it's like, I feel like I needed to achieve this like momentary high of, acceptance and affirmation. I and mean, think that's kind of like that fed the beast.
0: Yeah. Well, with modeling though, so did it just kind of naturally happen that you just kind of kept going up the ladder or was it a point in time where you finally said, okay, I'm going to move out to Hollywood and I'm going to see if I can actually now make it as an actor.
1: It was a, it was a combination of things. So I, I was being a knucklehead in college, like I I joined a fraternity, and I was on the basketball team, but wasn't playing a ton, and I, like, I was in college, like, just, like, okay, that that was the next, like, Mm -hmm. step in life, like, I didn't know what I wanted to do, I was majoring in theater, just because I thought that that would contribute to, like, not even me learning anything, I just thought it would look good on my resume. Mm. So I was, I I was studying theater. I really enjoyed college. I really enjoyed uh, being in a fraternity. And I actually learned a lot about being a man that I had not like acquired, just like tangible skills, like learning how to tie a tie, like learning like anything about, you know, a car, like just like really like simplistic things that you think you would already know as an 18, 19 year old, but um, I didn't. And so that I drug that process out. So I dropped out of college like I think it was like my a second semester of my sophomore year, but you know that that was about 4 years into my college experience and um,
0: It's only you know, funny now, just, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> but I got a DUI and, and you know obviously that was not good and then I I was like okay, well I got to still get places so I was like it'll be fine. I'll just drive anyway and No, I won't get caught and I got caught driving with suspended license so I had to do all I had to do like community service and pay all these fines and I was just like man you know what I don't know what I'm doing it makes sense I'm just I'm just gonna drop out of school and just move to Hollywood because it, it can't be that hard and it's like for me I would get like pretty much anything that was local like Atlanta or you know anything like in that proximity but jobs that i would try to get like in Hollywood or like los angeles or miami or something like that if i was not there because like i did a lot of runway stuff and it's pretty seasonal and if i was not in proximity if there was another six to hazel eyed guy that looked like me and he was in proximity more likely than not they're going to get the job and not me and i thought Mm. okay if i just move there it's going to be smooth sailing. You know, I'll, I'll be, you know, I'll be Brad Pitt. No time, You know, that, like that was like, that was what I was thinking. And I moved there and I had, I was having a decent amount of success, nothing crazy, but you know, I, I, I found an agent and I was working and everything was looking promising. Um, when I first got there, it was difficult because I didn't have a lot of money saved and stuff like that. But you know, I just, I just fell on my feet just because, you know, the way that my mom's raised me, she's just like, she is she exhibited to me resilience and just like figuring stuff out so yeah um
0: so at that time then you're living in hollywood you're you're doing some part-time work with acting slash modeling but you're also working in a restaurant
1: pretty much like anyone that's living in hollywood it's like if they work in a restaurant they don't it's like i'm an actor but i pay my bills here you know yeah um so yeah, like many, like many people, I try, I had to get a job to, you know, make ends meet, And I was working at this steakhouse slash bar in West Hollywood. Um, it's been in a lot of movies. It's called Saddle Ranch. It's in, it's like, it's in the middle of West Hollywood yeah. and it's got this giant mechanical bowl in the middle of it, but I was working there and things were good. Like I was, I was actually seeing someone that, um, you know, that worked there and, I had friends and, you know, I had an apartment that I liked and I lived with people I liked and life was great. And in walked um, four girls and they were all super cute. And I was like, you know, I'm going to, you know, smooth them and put on the charm and I'm going to get a big tip. And I went over there and within like five minutes, they said, hey, have you ever considered acting? I was like, well... (laughs) actually (laughs) i am an actor you know and i was like because for me um so many times in my life just the way just just being from the south it's like man who do you know how can you you introduce me to anyone because you know i'm all about relationships yeah and it's like i thought they were gonna be like yeah we're actually uh, working on this project or i'm friends with this director or whatever but i didn't see the curveball saying oh we're talking about porn i was like I mean, I've seen it. But I never considered doing it. Mm. And for, for, for me, like, it wasn't something that was real. I never thought that that was a real thing that people did. I just thought it was something that existed. And I think, like, that begins to paint the picture of how dangerous it is. Because you see these people, and you, you cr- it's almost like a kid that sees Superman. Like, you really believe that Superman and he's flying. But if you see him in person, it's like, it's really hard to wrap your head around. It's like, that's not Superman. So it's like, for me, it's like porn was just this thing that existed on a screen or a magazine. Um, it wasn't like something that real people did and especially not for a living. Like right. that, that's just bizarre. And they were like, do you want to meet our agent? And I was like, your agent? And all of a sudden they were talking a language that was familiar to me. I was like, man, there's an agent involved.
0: And this was all in the same night.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So they said that was pretty much the conversation to put it in context. Like if, if you were in the industry and you introduced someone to an agent and they signed them and then they did well, you would be heavily compensated for that. Okay. So they asked, you know, do you want to meet with our agent? I was like, Sure. I guess it was something I said yes to, but I really didn't intend on doing it. I was just trying to you know, say whatever they wanted to hear. And they, uh, they had that agent call me and it, it was a pretty quick conversation. He had an English accent. He just sounded like very, like he, it almost sounded like, man, he was really excited to meet me. And I was like, it's just weird. And because in my head, if I was going to meet with an agent, that advocates for people to do porn is like I foresaw saw like me going to like a motel six and there was like, an old something guy
0: sketchy. like sketchy
1: yeah something sketchy like him like picking lint out of his belly button or something like <laughs> on, like that's what I that's what I pictured but I I against my better judgment which in my gut like I knew better my mom taught me better and I knew I should have done it but I did it anyway and I met I, I went to meet with this guy and I thought like, you know, where I, I look at this address and I and I go to meet him and it's adjacent to Universal Studios and it's in this like giant like business center. And I and I walk in this garage and I go into this private elevator and I walk down this hall and then at the end of this hall, I open the door and this guy is sitting there at this giant desk with his three-piece suit on and a double Windsor tie. Mm. Um he asked me a, a few questions and he spoke to every insecurity that I had because, you know, he just asked me, you know, you know, where are you from? Why are you here? How did you grow up? What do you want to do? And he's like, man, um, there's not a lot of good looking guys in the industry um, mm. with you having acting experience. The, the porn industry is actually going in a different direction and they're making these big movies with these big scripts and, guys are actually going to have the opportunity to be stars and man I think that you would do so well I think that you should consider doing it and like he I was just like man rich I can be famous I can act it's like this is you know and that was one of many times where I justified doing something because I told myself a lie I told myself like well it's an opportunity to do this thing and it's not like maybe I'll just do it once or maybe like it's not that bad or, or even worse. It's like trying to convince myself, well, this is acting. So this is an opportunity. This is a good opportunity for me.
0: Well, so here's my question with that. Did you sign a contract with them that day or was it something that you really pondered?
1: So the way it worked was, um, they said, we will give you like, we'll get you a um a movie and based on how it goes we will then talk about a contract
0: okay so they gave you like this is a fee An audition that you can... type of
1: deal yeah so like it's like it, it you know we're gonna pay you five hundred dollars to go to this place and you know do a scene and I didn't know what that meant like do a scene I was, I was like I don't
0: Well, I mean, that's the thing though, right? It's like what you said that it's a little, it it is a slow fade. Any, any sinful thing is a slow fade, right? Like it's this, it's this slow, like, Oh, okay. This can help me accomplish my dreams. Oh, absolutely. And then you go in that direction, but was it in your mind? I mean, I'm thinking you had to be thinking, well, I don't know what this means. Does this mean I'm going to go and like have sex or what does this mean? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, for me, like I thought, I don't know. I don't know what I thought. I thought like, okay, I'm going to go there. And if it's sketchy, I'm just going to leave until it happened. I was like, I'm just going to like have one foot in one foot out until Mm. ultimately it was too late because Mm -hmm. like kind of the same thing. I had the same experience when, um, when I got to the studio, when I, so I I thought that, okay, I'm going to go again, I'm going to go to like a a hotel room and they're going to give me a camcorder and, you know, tell me to give it back to them when I'm done. Or something like that like that's what i thought that's what i really thought but i yeah. i go and i i i show up to this studio and at this studio it's like you know there's catering there's a reception desk and this receptionist gives me paperwork to fill out and you know they want copies of my ids and you know prior to that i had to go get like full like testing done and had to like show them the testing and
0: and it was a full set I,
1: Yeah. And I go, I go on the set and it's like, you know, there's, there's camera one, camera two, BTS, you know, lighting, sound, there's people everywhere. And there's this girl that's on this like day bed in the middle of this like stadium, like Kino flow light, like lighting setup, And, and then like a PA comes up to me and he's like, so I understand this is your first time. Um, here's a Viagra. If you want to use it, use it. Don't, don't. We're going to need you in about 15 minutes. I was like, he's whoa. like, if, you, if you've never, he's, he's like, if you've never taken this before, I'd probably bite it in half. I was like,
0: whoa, what is this? What? <laughs> What's, I should not be laughing what? right now, but that's just. I know, but it's like, I
1: mean, it, 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 like, it is comical. Like looking back on like, what am I doing here? Why is this happening? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I'm like, literally like in the mirror, like, you're not going to do this. Are you going to do this? Do I need to take this pill? I don't need to take this pill. Should I take this pill? And then I just took the whole thing and didn't drink, drink a bottle of water. And then I walk out and they're like, you know, a director just waves me over. And Amber, just to to be completely honest, like I walk over and as soon as I step into the light, I don't remember a thing. And then next thing I know, I have a, I have a check in my hand and I'm on my way home. Wow. And I feel dirty and disgusting and so even was, after the
0: first time.
1: Oh yes, it was terrible. Like I mean the, the first experience was it was it was the most awkward, strange thing that I've ever experienced because some of the stuff that I remember is like I never had any interaction like with the girl. Like I never spoke to her, never made eye contact, never talked to her whatsoever. And then the only thing that I remember members like the director telling me what to do and when to change what and like directing me for the camera and and it's like I go home and it's just like what have I done yeah like I said like I was seeing someone at the time so I had to get like I get home and I had this check and it's 500 bucks it's like it's not that much you know it's just like
0: But when you're working for tips primarily and you're only getting partial roles or things like that, I mean, yeah. I mean, but to to be
1: completely honest, like I was making bank at that, at that restaurant. restaurant. I mean, I was like on a, on a bad night, I was making, I was making $300.
0: Yeah. Well, so tell me because the reality is you did end up signing a contract and you worked in the industry for five years. You became one of the top stars in the yep. industry, and so what was that emotional roller coaster like? Because I know you went through a lot of heartbreak. Um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about that.
1: Like once I did that one, the, the girl I was seeing at the time, I, I was like, I told her what I did, and you know, she told me to take a hike. And she was like, she had been working at that restaurant for a long time, and she was very respected. Um, she was very. Successful successful in a lot of different ways and I just knew that like I had done this like terrible thing and then I just felt guilty so it's like I can't keep working at this place because like I hurt this person that works there and you know and everyone loves her so I mean it's 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 almost like I just like broke my friend circle you know Mm. Um, it was not like maybe a few weeks until that first seen like popped up on the internet and then it was everywhere and then all of a sudden i find myself getting fired from like any kind of representation that i had and then with really short after that um just because the company that i worked for was a really big company so it was everywhere like within less than a month of me doing that someone you know me being from a small town someone had seen it and told someone some that told my uncle and then my uncle told my mom. And then I'm on the phone with my mom talking about why did I do a porn movie? And it was just like, I'm so ashamed. She was so hurt and not Mm -hmm. like she never rejected me because I did this thing. But she's like, gosh, like she I mean, she never said this, but she had to be thinking, man, I worked so hard for you to be where you are today. yeah. And she said, I, she always tells me that. So you have so much potential. Like there's so much that is in you that is for so much good for this world. Mm-hmm. And you, why would you choose to do that with yeah. who you are?
0: Heartbreak.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like, as a
0: mom, I just think heartbreak.
1: Yeah. And it's like, for me, it's like, I mean, my mom was everything. Yeah. So it's like, God, she was the last person that I wanted to disappoint. So was it the money?
0: Was it the money that ended up just really pushing you to just keep going with it? Or was it like, I feel like I've lost everything else. And so this is what I'm going to keep doing.
1: So that that's exactly why I signed that contract. So like, you know, I I do the scene a few days. go by, The direct, the agent calls me. He's like, everything went great. He's like, and I have all these projects lined up for you. Um, Do you want to sign a contract? And I was like, well, I, I guess I kind of have to, because Mm. there's nothing else I can do. And that was the beginning of like, we see like, you know, Genesis two, Adam and Eve, they're walking, they're naked, there's no shame. And it's Genesis three, sin enters the picture. And then they're hiding from God because they're guilty and ashamed. Mm -hmm. And that was me. I was guilty. I felt guilty. I felt ashamed. So I started to pull away from my mom. I started to pull away from anyone that knew me in an authentic way. And I lived as that shame. And I saw myself as that person who did that thing. And as I did that thing more, I become more and more of a recluse. And I was like, well, this is just who I am. And this is, this is my bed and I have to lie in it. And I have not like, I don't know. It's really hard because to like, really like go back to that mindset and like articulate what I was thinking. But like I was saying, like, whatever I do, I'm going to be the absolute best at it. And that's just who I am for good or for bad. Like that's at a frat party or that's mopping yeah. a floor. Like that's just who I am. And that, like, I, I was like, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. And it, and, and it just turned into me signing that contract. And within, you know, I signed that contract in like middle to the end of the summer. And I did, you know, 150, 200 movies, like in that like six month span,
0: Whoa. And then
1: over, over a five year period, I did a thousand movies and I won, you know, performer of the year and I had been nominated for it three times and I made over a million dollars and I traveled the world doing this stuff. And I was on like Showtime and HBO and like all this stuff, you know, I was being paid to show up at bars and just have a table and people would pay to like sit near me. It was just like the deeper I got and the more fame I got the more detached from reality I became because I hated what I did because it was just at the end of the day, like I laid my head on the pillow and I was like, I wasn't proud of what I was doing, but it was so close to what I wanted to be doing in some ways. It just made me think like, what if I wouldn't have done that? Like what kind of success could I have had? Like, what if I wouldn't have done that? Like, you know, I, I was going through all these like terrible relationships. Um, like something that's so toxic that happens in the mm-hmm. industry is you're trying to date other performers. So you're you're trying to lie to yourself and say you're in a monotonous relationship, monogamous relationship with someone that is having sex for a living while you're having sex for a living. And the crazy thing is, guys in that industry, there's like 20 to 25 guys in the industry that work consistently. So you know every single guy that you're on set with because a director is paying for everything, the director is footing the bill for the studio the permits the you know the the crew um the editing the talent catering everything so everything is being paid by this director and the director knows um so the guy is the only person that doesn't get paid for certain and and that's because if the guy does not do his job there Mm -hmm. is no product yet that director still has to pay everyone else
0: yeah, man.
1: So, so because of that, a director is going to be very unlike, it's going to be very unlikely for him to just hire random guys. So he's just going to hire the same guys every yeah. single time. And that's why I had so much success because I worked for the top four or five, you know, companies in the business and those directors would hire me every single time. So I would work 25, 30 times a month, every month for as long as I wanted. And that was my life. But I believed that you know, I'm a product and what I'm worth is, you know, me selling myself sexually. That's who I am. That's what I do. Um, and as my career progressed, I begin to see that, man, there's, there's no future for me. There's no, there's no woman that's going to want to be my wife. There's, there's no way I could be a father. Mm. There's no business that's going to want me in leadership or, like, there's no, like, production company that's going to give me an opportunity to play a part, you know, in, in their you know, movie or, or whatever, because I'm going to be attached to this forever. And I just didn't see a way out. And it led to me really isolating myself from my, my family to the point where I wasn't returning texts, I wasn't returning calls, and I felt so alone and so depressed that I was just fi- I found myself saying, God, I, I, I don't really know if you're there, but mm. if you are, I just want to die yeah. because I don't see a tomorrow worth living. And I know that I don't have a future and that's the way I saw life.
0: Well, and that's the thing, you kept going down that path of, you know, just more and more despair. And after a while, you did just question, you know, why do I feel so emotionally empty? And so you walk into a bank and someone looks at you and asks you two questions. Joshua, is there anything I can do for you? Can I help you? What happened in your brain at that moment?
1: I would get, you know, payroll checks. And um, on those checks, the me- on the memo would be what it was for. Mm-hmm. So obviously the name of the movie was generally expletive and I was a- embarrassed of that. So I would always either drop it in, um, you know, like a, a, like a slot or whatever, or um, put it in the ATM or do anything to avoid human interaction because I didn't want to look someone in the eye and say, here's this check for my prostitution. But mm. at that that day I, I I didn't have a choice. So I had to go to the clerk and you know, I I swiped my card and she pulled up my account information, she deposited the check and I and I pivoted and went to walk away. And then she said that. She said, Joshua, can I help you? Is there anything I can do for you? And when she said my name, it was, it just it just like stopped me in my in my footsteps because at that point I had isolated myself from everyone
0: mm.
1: that would call me Joshua. And I didn't have one authentic relationship in my life. I was only interacting with people that I knew from the industry and none of them called me by my name. And I went to the gym and I would get takeout like, and that, and that was my wow. life. Unless I was being paid to be somewhere, I went to the gym. I went to, I got food and then I pretty much stayed at home. And that was it. When that she said that, it's like I had created this plausible reality that I was living in. And when she said, Joshua, it shattered it. And I just, I, like, I had chills now thinking about it because, like, it's like I did, I, I felt guilty and ashamed, but I never felt, like, convicted. Hmm. And I went home, and I remember looking myself in the mirror, and I had no idea who the person was looking back at me. I had no clue like like who are you what have you done and then it began to like really like weigh on me why have you not been talking to your mom why did you leave your mom hanging like why didn't you answer the phone because my mom had lived a really hard life and she she got married when I was seven or eight and she married someone who was incredibly abusive um, to her. And that only lasted for a few years. And then she just was very alone and just isn't this incre- she's always been this incredible person. She finally met someone who loved her and honored her and respected her. And they get married. I wasn't there. And then less than a year later. His pancreas ruptures, they don't get to the hospital in time and he dies. Ugh. And I wasn't there. When my mom, when my mom needed me most, I was so selfish and mm. so tied up in my own mess that I wasn't there for my mom. And that in that moment just absolutely crushed me. Mm. And I was just disgusted with who I was. I was like, okay, I'm either gonna die run and I pick up the phone and I call my agent and I say I, I quit and I call, you know, the, the company that had contracted me and I quit. And they were like, well, you know, this is gonna cost you X amount of dollars because you're breaking a contract. And I was like, I don't care, send me an invoice. And I called my PR person. And I was like, you know, put out a press release that, you know, I, I quit. Wow. Within a few weeks I had found someone, you know, to actually maybe even less than that. Um It 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 wasn't very long, but I I found someone to take over my the place that I was living. I was like, I don't care, like you don't have to sign anything, and you and I literally gave them everything that was in the apartment, all your furniture, all like everything, and I just took my clothes and I was like, just please pay their rent.
0: I see two things here. One, I mean, the grace of God. It's like the way that it. The way that you can trace it back in hindsight is always incredible to me. And two, this is where your personality of I'm all in no matter what pays off. Yeah. Right. Not very many people, including myself, would just say, I can drop it all and leave. Yeah. So did you go back home? Yeah. And your mom what welcomed you with open arms? Yeah. Yeah. And so you spend the next two years trying to put your life back together. But there's still some stuff going on.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, because it was like, if I can sweep this under, under the rug and just pretend it didn't exist. But the, the issue was, the, the I really overlooked the amount of mental and emotional trauma mm-hmm. that I experienced. And I actually was numb to it. So I didn't feel it until all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm working at Whole Foods. Um, from four in the morning to 1 PM. And then also working at a gym from two to 8 PM and still not making enough money. And then getting, having to do my taxes the year after I quit because I, I quit like relatively like, like the fiscal year had like just ended. So I had not paid taxes on a whole year of where I'd made $275,000. Yeah. if whatever I had was now gone. And I, I was just left, you know, I, I was removed from, you know, the, the daily affirmation and the mm-hmm. fame and the money and all I had left was my hurt. And I just tried so hard to hide it. And I just, I lied to everyone I met the person. So in I, the first job that I had, so I ended up moving back to Raleigh or moving yeah. to Raleigh. And um, there, so was crazy. Gym, <laughs> there was a gym, there was a there was a gym that hired me and, um, I didn't, I didn't tell them anything about my past, but like, they didn't hire me because of my past or, you know, whatever, but they hired me because I did have, you know, some experience like in a gym and, you know, like if I had anything to put on a resume, it was just a little bit of personal training, just because I loved fitness. Well, and the
0: reality is even in the gym industry, if you're, if you look like you're built and you're cute, you'll probably get hired.
1: And especially like for me, um, it, another Factor in that is that it was in a CrossFit gym, and I and I come from California, so it's like you know, perfect. I don't, I don't know. I I I can't think of a good analogy, but I know what um, you mean. mean. (laughs) Yeah, but it's like you know, if if you're from where it started, then there 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 must be something that you know that is of Mm -hmm. value, you know. Yeah, and I I started working there, but very quickly, very quickly. You know, it's like, oh, that's that guy. That's that guy. That's that guy. That's that guy. And then I'm sitting in the office, looking at you know this woman who you know had hired me, and she looks at me and she said, pretty much like, I could, I should fire you because you weren't honest with me, but I don't see you as the person that would do that. And I think that you're here for a reason, and that like you had left that for a reason. So we're gonna set some healthy boundaries, and. I'm going to give you an opportunity to stay here. And what's crazy, (laughs) so crazy about this is, so when I got the DUI, but when I left, I never got my license back.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: So this woman takes this lunatic porn star that had lied to her and she at one point like let me like live with her for a while she let me like use her car to like get like my license back because I did everything except like I didn't finish like my classes I paid all my fines and stuff like that I just like didn't do like my classes so I had to take like a few classes and then like she let me like get my license in her car you know I almost went 10 years without a license but she you know she gave me an opportunity because she saw something in me much greater than I saw in myself, and I worked my way up in that business. And then I was doing really well, and I met uh, Christmas Abbott. Do you do you know who that is? I do not. She was on Big Brother, and okay, but um, she but she owns a gym in Raleigh, and um, I don't know if she owns it anymore. But like her and um Brandon Garner like own own. It's called CrossFit Invoke, mm-hmm. so they own this gym. And like they had someone who was full time leave. And I was kind of like, I was working at Whole Foods and working at this gym. And it broke my heart to like, like, well, I had the conversation with Christmas. So I was like, hey, you know, I just like, she walks in the grocery store and like, I am my grandfather in a lot of ways where like I will talk to a door <laughs> or a wall. I'll talk to anybody, but I, I saw her and I was like, hey, um, because she was kind of a big deal in the community. I was like, hey, you know, I, I, uh, I, I know who you are. I, I coach at this other gym, blah, 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 blah. She's like, you do. She's like, well, how much experience do you have? And I was like, not a lot. You know, I just, I said, California. She was like, Oh really? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> and she's like, well, let's, let's have a meeting because I had a head coach, which is, you know, language for a full-time coach right? Um, leave and start his own business. And I have this vacancy and, you know, if, if you're interested, we can have that conversation. And I, I did. And she offered me a full time job there. I was like, man, I hated leaving that gym. And it was like, there, there was a lot of like hurt feelings on both parts because she had done so much for me and I didn't yeah. want to leave. But like, I didn't want to keep cleaning out that freaking cooler at Whole Foods. Right. like, um, But I ended up taking that opportunity. But the whole time, everyone I met, if I had the opportunity to like dodge a question or lie or just not allow anyone to know that I was in that industry, um, I would. But like for like as far as like Christmas and and brand it's like I I was like, I'm not gonna risk this again. So I, you know, I told them and then they hired me. And 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 they hired me because I, I was equipped to do the job. And that felt weird to me because I had built myself up and like acquired this knowledge and I was using this ability to communicate and lead people and teach. And it's like things that I'd acquired, like doing other stuff and like, like theater or just like being comfortable on camera and like working on, you know, my ability to communicate and and all these things that I never saw me using for coaching. Um, it just, it, it just worked worked out. Yeah. And I, I started working there and pretty, you know, I worked there for about a year and everything was going great. Like I had some personal training clients. I started to make some money. I was getting out of debt. Um, things was like, things were looking really up, but still like on a personal level, like I was not okay. Like I, yeah. I get to the point where I was having like night terror because literally every single new person, every single personal, tra- like personal training client, every single like dinner I went to, I was just horrified that someone was going to realize who I was, who I was, you know, you, you, that you're this guy and I was going to lose everything. And that's how I lived every single day, looking over my shoulder, like, man, this is great, but it's like, it's, it's, it's one conversation away from me losing everything.
0: So you became friends, I guess, or maybe she was your client with Hope. Is that correct? Yeah. So she,
1: she, she was just someone who took class. So she was okay. someone who took class and she was smoking hot and like the best <laughs> athlete in the gym. And I walk up to her and I thought, you know, I was going to throw my Southern charm on her. I was like, i like, don't worry, I'll I'll put your things away like after the workout. She's like, I can put my own stuff away. I was like, okay, <laughs> sorry. And then I was like, um, I was like, could we maybe go on a date or something sometime? She's like, Nah, I'm I'm okay. I was like, Oh
0: yes, yeah, snap. She's I like, like
1: <laughs> I was like, man, I'm not playing was like, with you. <laughs> she's like, well, she's like, maybe she's like, we could go like for a run. I was like, All right, I'll take what I can get, and. I meet her to go run on this trail and I'm sitting in my car, waiting on her to get there. And man, I just had this like weight that I can't explain just like this lump in my throat, almost like, I felt like very similar to like, I was in trouble and my, and my mom was like coming home. And I'm like, I needed to tell her before she finds out from somebody else.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: But also like, man, this, this girl, she exhibits like hard work, integrity. Um, she's amazing, and just like she's this like delicate, soft-spoken, just amazing person. And it's like, man, even if she tells me to hit the road, I don't want her to feel one ounce of pain because of me. Mm. And immediately,
0: you you yeah. felt that way immediately. Yeah. And so you go on the run and is it that time that she, I mean, is it your first run that she actually yeah. looks at you and says, do you know, God,
1: we, we go for this run that turned into a walk. Cause I was like, Hey, I want to tell you something. And I was like, I did a little bit of porn. <clears throat> she was like, excuse me. I was like, I did, I did, I did a lot of porn and I did. And then like, and then like, it was almost like, you just like, you ripped the bandaid off and then I didn't shut up for about five minutes I was like I need to tell you how bad I am I need to tell you that you know I kicked my brother in the shin and I lied to my mom when I was 12 years old like I was telling her everything
0: mm.
1: and at the end of that she was like she's a processor so she didn't speak at first and like for me like I'm insanely extroverted like I don't even know what's coming out of my mouth until it comes out and she was just sitting there looking at me thinking and she was quiet and we kept walking and I'm just like I mean are you gonna like, what are you going to say? And she was like, can I ask you something? Um, do you, do you like, do you know God? Like, do you like believe in God? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I believe that God exists. I believe that God created everything. I grew up like my, my grandparents, very, like very devout Christian, like my grandmother, like, you know, she listened to gospel music during the day. She went to church on Wednesday, Thursday night, Sunday, like, like, I knew a lot about God. So I was like, yeah, and I was like, even to the point, like, where I was, you know, I, at some point, you know, I, I, I'm a student of all things. So i just like, that was, that came up. So I was just like, I was like, yeah, and I like, it even makes sense to me that, like, you know, God, uh, if time, space, and matter came into existence at the same time, there had to be, um, you know, someone outside of those things to create those things for them not to exist and come into existence at the same time. So I'm like, yeah, like, I, I believe, God exists. And then she was like, well, do you know him? Like, do you have a relationship with him? I was like, what do you mean?
0: Mm.
1: What, what do you mean by that? She's like, what well, do you have a relationship with? Him? Like, do you like, you know, ha- do you, do you read the Bible? Like, do you like, you have a relationship with Jesus? Like, do you like, know it?" Um, and she started like asking me all these questions, but not in the most like gentle, sincere yeah. way. Just asking me like, you know, four or five questions. She cared about your and, heart. And I didn't know the answer to any of them. I had heard the questions before, but they were, again, it was like, it was like something that I knew about, but never really put myself in the equation. And I was like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And then didn't say anything else about it. Like asked me about how to, and then we walked for three hours, asked me, you know, things about my life, my family, my brother, my mom, my grandparents, all these things. And, she, and ultimately at the end of it, she was just like, I understand that you did those things and you know it it, it's it's pretty alarming to hear to be honest but the person I see standing in front of me and the person that I've known that's not who you are something you did
0: Mm.
1: like not in that moment but like later like that like that wrecked me yeah like how can you see me like that
0: wow
1: and um a few days passed and we're like she was like hey do you do you want to go to church with me I was like yeah so She
0: like, I, she's the I one who know. invited you okay yeah.
1: yeah and it was it was neat because so the gym that I was working at there was this guy um, named Kelvin who um, he was a minister but he was in IT and he just became like a really close friend of mine and he's like man you should check out this church um, it's like it's like really like modern the music's great um, you should just go check it out. And he had told me that a few times, and I'm just like, yeah, 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 let me check it out. Um, and then, like, and then we cl- kind of collectively said, okay, let's go, you know, check out this, this new church together. And um, I, I walked in those doors there and I walked out a very different person. You know, I, wow. I, I heard the gospel articulated in a way where you know a lot, a lot of people say that they've had this moment where like the pastor was um he's he has a lot of like relational qualities and just like his teaching it's um it's it's very like soft spoken but deep like very mm-hmm. deep theological truths like yeah. articulated in a way that's relatable and but he was telling the story of um and how you know when a, when a new king, you know, a new kingdom starts. The the prior kingdom, um, it's traditional that they wipe everyone out. So Mefalesh, when his you know his his you know parents found out this, or well, the nurse found out that she was like running with him and drops him and he gets you know hurt and you know hides him away. And so like he was the only person left out of yeah. you know this kingdom and. You know, the the soldier later in life finally finds him because, you know, the the king sent him out to find, you know, where is this guy? And he looks up at the soldier and he believed that he deserved death. So he was going to die. But instead, he offers him his hand in a place at the the table, not for a day, not for a week, but forever and not the worst place at the table, the best place at the table.
0: So that was the sermon the day you walked into church.
1: And that's how I saw myself. Like I saw myself as who could ever want me to sit mm-hmm. at their table. Because what my biggest issue was that I did not see myself as someone who worthy of giving love. So like, and that caused me not to be able to receive it mm-hmm. because of how I saw myself. So in that moment, and then he goes into the gospel, it's like, man, Jesus loves me so much that he was willing to die so that I could know him, not for a day, not for a moment, but forever. Wow. In that moment, it's like, it wasn't just me doing porn. It was my whole life carrying Mm -hmm. this burden that was removed. Mm -hmm. The shame and the guilt, yes, but this feeling of who am I and where do I fit in in this world? Right. All of a sudden I just had this like wave of peace Wow! wash over me.
0: And so you and Hope continued to date and get married and have children. And during that time though, you're, you're learning to walk with Jesus. But I mean, I know from personal experience, like yeah. you can come to know Jesus and that burden is lifted, but then learning to walk with him is still a journey. Oh, yeah. And so what were those first couple of years? Like, and then of course, what, do you remember which church it was? I'm just curious.
1: Oh, yeah. oh Hope Community Church.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. I have friends at Hope. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what, cool. I mean, cause I was there for
1: a long time. So I, I um, so like I said, I'm, I'm, All I'm in. bonkers. And so a week goes by and I, I show up at the church and I ask if there's a pastor I can talk to and I'm, and I walk and then she's actually our executive pastor, Gary, he's available. And I walk in and Gary's this gigantic jacked, like, 50 year old man. I'm like, man, this guy, I love this guy already. And I was like, hey, um, I think God wants me to build a boat. He's like, what? I was like, I was like, here's the thing. I have this story. Let me tell you. And I tell him my story. And I'm like, I believe that God wants me to share this story and anything that I do. Like my my grandfather taught me, whatever you do in life, learn to do it well before you want to do it bad, you know? So it's like, I know that I wanna share my story through the lens of who Jesus is. So can you help me learn the Bible? And he's like, man, awesome. um, such there's such a unique opportunity because Andrew Yates, who is, this man absolutely changed my life. Andrew Yates just moved here from Dallas. His family's here and they're helping with the launch of the Apex Campus you know, it's, it's going to be a while before it launches. And he's got a little bit of time on his hands and little did he know that he was going to be stuck with me for five years. And we (laughs) spent like 10 to 15 hours a week together. What a gift. He taught me how to read the Bible and he taught me how to teach people how to write, read the Bible. And then we spent a year like studying, like this man is so good of a teacher. He taught a knucklehead like me, Greek in a year. Wow. like because of his passion and the way that he connected with the Lord, when when he would study the Word and he would do this thing, I started to look at education differently. So I, that's when I went, I went back to school to to Liberty University. I did it online, but you know I continued to spend time with him. And my wife grew up catholic and was baptized really early and she's like man like as we are walking in our faith together like I, wow. I i want i want to get baptized you know so i i got baptized like two weeks after i gave my life to Christ. But she asked me to baptize her so i baptized wow. her. Friend. and then like at my gym i start you know i i'm bringing like 20 30 40 people every week to church and then i you know we I, i'm getting the opportunity to baptize them and 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 then all of a sudden there's opportunities for me to like go into churches and share my testimony and then I start preaching and then all this stuff is happening, but you're absolutely right. Salvation is instantaneous and Mm -hmm. sanctification is a process. And we had to walk through, we had to walk through a lot of like really difficult stuff because that mental and emotional trauma Mm -hmm. that I had is real. And like, absolutely. Like Jesus changed my life. And second Corinthians 5, 17 is real. Like that old person was dead and gone. And I'm this new creation, but now that I'm no longer wounded, I still had a few scars and yeah. I wanted to deal with those. So, you know, just having Andrew in my life, it was almost like he was a, he was a counselor. He was a teacher mm. and he was my best friend, you know? Wow. And it, it was just so healthy for me to be able to like to process things with him. And because I have a very like teachable spirit, uh, very teachable spirit, just as an app, ath- like as an athlete. I know it's like, man, I desire constructive criticism. Like, Mm -hmm. tell me how I can get better so I can do it because I just want to be better. And then I started treating integrity that way. I started treating Mm -hmm. honesty that way. And then it's like, that is how I started like learning to like, man, just to do all these things and just replace so many lies that I told myself for so long and replace them with reproof. It's like, I love, um, Second Timothy, you know, 316, you know, all all scripture is God breathed it's good for you know, teaching, rebuking and all this stuff. But reproof was the word that just I latched on to for like two years because reproof means ultimately to dismantle and destroy. So God wanted me to dismantle and destroy the idea of who I thought I was, who I thought he was and who I thought I was supposed to the way I was supposed to appropriate myself in this world. And all of a sudden I started to allow this truth to make its way from my head to my heart. And I started seeing myself differently. I started seeing mm-hmm. God for who he was. And I started seeing people for who they were. And that changed my life. But again, it was a process.
0: Right. It was, right. It was a day. It
1: still is a process. That's right.
0: But yeah, until like the day of Christ Jesus, right? Yeah. Amen. Well, and so tell me, what is it like for you now with, uh, platform is maybe not the best word, but maybe it is. Yeah, you, you know Jesus, and you also know this identity that you had before that you were like, that's right. not my identity. As you've been able to educate and speak to people, what do you see happening in people's lives who are trying to come out of this industry?
1: I spend a lot of my time on both sides of the fence in that way where I desperately want people to come out of that industry, but I love this John Maxwell book john maxwell says no one cares what you know until they know that you care mm-hmm. so no one cares what you know that's right until they know that you care
0: absolutely and
1: i'm trying to like reach um these people that have recently come out of the industry that i mean to be honest like if you're in that industry and you're successful because like either someone does a few a few films in their in their you know impacted by that for the rest of their life because that's still like that's something that will linger with you forever or someone has a lot of success and stays in that industry for years and the problem with that is after five or six years of doing that and then you leave you have no idea who you are you've Mm -hmm. probably lost all like social skills because you spend all of your time doing a like something that resembles a of intimacy but it's fake so you're putting on a facade and then you're and then you're wearing a mask to cover up the emotion of how you actually feel. So you spend so much time in this plausible reality that's so far from reality that you have no clue who you are, how to interact with people, and what like what are you gonna do to go from making, you know, some like some successful girls, like I was making like 250, 275. Like some girls could be making way more than that. And all of a sudden you you start working at Belts or something for her, you know, ten dollars an hour. It's like, man, it's a reality check where it's like, man, it's so easy to say because the the phone doesn't stop ringing when you quit. Uh, yeah. Hey, I'm not that person anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure, you, sure, you're not. But do you want two thousand dollars? It'll Fantastic. just take three hours of your time. So I I spend time trying to connect with people who have left the industry recently um, mm. to be completely honest I had to set healthy boundaries for myself yeah. to just not stay connected to people in that industry except for one person um, it was a guy who I was really good friends with um, he was from Tennessee and to be completely honest man he he checked on me more than I checked on him he was an incredible person but uh, about a year and a half ago he fell off a balcony in Mexico and he died and it's such a sad story because he's such an incredible person. And, wow. you know, out of all the obituaries, it's just like, this was his stage name. He did this many films and he worked for these companies. He was one of the best friends I ever had. Wow. You know, he, he was the type of person that would just ask you, you know, 10 questions about yourself and not even
0: Man.
1: just cared about people, you know, yeah. like he would he was one of those people like he would eat last, no matter how many people were in front of him. Just like he was just that type of guy. And um, that was the only person I kept in contact with just because like, he didn't talk about that stuff. they never came up and we played fantasy football together and stuff like that. And that was difficult. But other than that, like, I, I couldn't be friends with anyone on social media just because of the stuff they like post and repost right. and share. Yeah. And it was just, it was not healthy for me because right. I had to set boundaries for me, not because my mind was perverted for so <laughs> long that even though I'd changed my life, even though I was with this incredible woman past, six years of my life had just been decrepit, you know, just terrible. Well,
0: and I mean, it's the, the good thing to take away from that too, is that temptation is always present. Oh yeah. So we have to put things in place in order to protect our minds and protect our hearts and protect our walk with Christ and our families. And I mean, that can be hard, but that's the reality that many of us face and many of us struggle with.
1: At the end of the day, the reality is you're neutral is to choose to do the wrong thing. Like you're neutral for sure. is sin. Like for sure. I don't have to tell my, you know, I don't have to tell my one-year-old not to touch the hot stove. He wants to touch the stove. It's my job to set boundaries to keep him from getting burnt. And when yeah. he gets old enough, we can, he can listen to my instruction and do what I say, not because he believes it, because he trusts me. Yeah. And then that's what God wants to do for us. He wants to set boundaries in our life to protect us from getting hurt. And obedience flows from us trusting God. Mm. And if you can switch your mindset from, I need to do what he says so I don't get in trouble. I want to do what he says because I believe that he loves me enough that I truly believe that his way is best.
0: Mm. Amen to that. Well, so as we close out here, tell me, if you were talking to a group of young people or even people our age who really want to make it as a model or an actor, what is something that you would share with them?
1: You, your life is not defined by your greatest accomplishment. Your, your greatest accomplishment is not defined by your greatest loss or hurt or failure. Like you were designed to mm. bring God glory. is God has given you gifts and talents to do that, and it can be in the lane of modeling and acting and, and you can do that and serve Christ, but to know that your identity is not what you do or what you've done, your identity is in the person of Jesus. And that's, that's the most important thing that you could ever know. I I tell people that a lot. It's like the most important thing you can ever know is God loves you. And the most Mm -hmm. important thing you can ever do is love him back.
0: Yeah. I, um, just posted an episode with Megan Newkirk and Megan said, you know, God is not a labeler. The only thing we need to label ourselves with is his child. And I just thought, wow, if we could all get that deep down in our souls, wouldn't we be better off?
1: I'm preaching on, um, you know, Colossians four, six is like the main verse that I'm preaching on, but you know, ultimately like, how do you interact with outsiders? How do you interact with people? And something that I get asked a lot, it's like, man, what do you think about you know the LGBT like community? Like, what do you think about those people? And I'm like, well, I think that they're people and they have intrinsic value, and they mm-hmm. and God loves them, and He loves them so much that He sent Jesus to die for them. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, labels are for jars; they're not for people. And look at Scripture. You know, the the Sadducees and the Pharisees they had this preconception of what the Messiah was going to look like when Jesus didn't fit in their box, they crucified. Mm-hmm. So we're not supposed to label people. We're supposed to love people.
0: Mm. Well, Joshua, thank you so much for the work that you're allowing Christ to do in your life now. Um, and I believe that you'll continue to do with that all in spirit. And so if someone wanted to connect with you, um, what's a good place to do that?
1: My Instagram is uh, a, a great landing page. Um, my email is joshua at gnomechurch.com and my, all of my social media is I am Joshua Broom.
0: Well, Joshua, thanks so much for being here today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me.
0: The goodness and the grace of God. Did you hear it? Did you see it? I would love for you to share with me what resonated with you from today's episode. Send me a quick email to graceenoughpodcast at gmail.com or drop me a message at graceenoughpodcast underscore Amber.
1: Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.